They were like, there was some guy in the back who actually had more bread and fish. (laughs) And they were like, that's what actually happened. So they were passing out the one bread and the basket, and the other guy was like, hey, I got three more (laughs) with my donkeys. (laughs) That's how this happened. And it wasn't really Jesus. Jesus paid him. Well, welcome back to Captive Thoughts. This is EJ. This is Caleb. And uh, this is episode four. We're really excited about... Um, our topic today, we initially were going to talk on prayer, but we, but, have a, uh, we a changed thought. our mind. We changed our mind. <laughs> yeah, a new thought entered into our brains, and now we're running with it. Yeah. I mean, we said in the first episode mm-hmm. that this was going to be a podcast about thoughts, mm-hmm. and we thought otherwise. And we thought so, otherwise, yeah. So if you were looking forward to an episode on prayer at some point, maybe I think we'll, we'll get, get to it. We'll probably get to that later. Yeah, at some point. When a thought pops up again. That's right. But as, as for now, I think we want to continue to further expound upon tensions and paradox. I mean, we're going to get the tension and paradox in this episode. Or... Are you sure? Are we lying to them? No. No, no I'm kidding. What are we doing, Because buddy? we kept saying we were going to do it, but we never would, so <laughs> we're here. It only took one month. From episode one, we were like, we're doing tension and paradox next, and mm-hmm. now one month later... We're finally we're getting here. to it. So this this is this is one month episode. This we're, is we right. finished the month with this one. Yeah, so. this is this is a month this episode. In prior episodes, we had talked about tension and paradox. One example was Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man. Yeah. And the tension and, and the seeming paradox of that, but how necessary it is to affirm yeah, Jesus as fully God, fully man. So in this episode we want to take these tensions and paradox and really hash them out explain why we believe them like the ramifications of believing them and yeah this is just a candid conversation this is good unscripted this is we're good. just running with we also it. just watched the american gospel movie so mm-hmm. there was a little bit of talks in there about god's sovereignty and, and mm-hmm. man's free will and mm-hmm. all that stuff so that's going to really add to the conversation yeah. today because that was deep yeah yeah the american gospel movie i, I found just so fascinating because it talked about the tension of Christ plus works, Christ plus wealth, health, miracles, miracles all these brilliant. things. Is that really the gospel? And they say, no, that's not yeah. the gospel. You know, I was really impressed, and actually our next episode after this one, we're going to dig into it, but I was really impressed at some of these theological leaders being willing to call things out as heresy. Yeah. Because like I feel like we live in a time that's very not doing that, but we're going to get to that in the next episode. Right. But it was good to see some willingness of church leaders to be like hey we've noticed this growing thing mm-hmm. that's not good and so like maybe let's just start out with like jesus fully god fully man yeah why do you hold it what what are some of the things that to not hold it you see could turn into faulty theology well yeah i think um the first thing and again in a prior episode i i kind of touched on this but i think the biblical text demands us to affirm jesus as fully god and fully man um, and to deny those truths is to deny But EJ, he emptied himself. This is true. There is a passage <laughs> where he emptied himself. But um, I, I believe in the context of that passage, it's not saying that he gave up his divinity because there's also a passage in Hebrews right. that talks about Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And John chapter 1 talks about Christ as the eternal word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I didn't us. say the word disregarded its flesh or like divinity and yeah. took on flesh. Yeah. Right. So, so that that passage of him emptying himself, also known in systematic circles as kenosis, the idea that Jesus is nice. like no longer divine or gave up all his divine attributes. 
I think, kenosis, faulty theology to yeah. deny the divinity of Christ. And one reason behind this, um, as, we've, as we've discussed um, in, in prior conversations, is that to say that, oh, Jesus was human, but then had this right relationship with God, and like the Father gave him the Spirit, but he wasn't really divine... That's to completely miss, like, who the person of Christ is. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think um, one of the most important things in kenosis that we talked about this a lot in systematic theology class Mm -hmm. uh, is if Jesus was not fully God, he couldn't take on God's wrath. Yeah. If he was not fully man, then he could not forgive the sins of men because men needed to pay the price for Mm -hmm. sins. So there's that. But then some people Mm -hmm. would then say that, like... uh, especially progressives would mm-hmm. say it was not God's wrath that Jesus took on on the cross and maybe God didn't even kill Jesus. Right. But I think what we've talked about before is once you start to, it's trying to clean up theology, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so uh, in particular, the American gospel attacks word of faith mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. and the idea that Jesus was just a man whom God lived through to do things mm-hmm. And he emptied himself as divinity in order to do those. I think it's trying to clean up theology. Right. It's trying to clean it up because it's like, oh, well, we can't, like, we can be God too because to be like Jesus is to be like, to be God. Right. And it, uh, it misses the point. Well, that's the thing, yeah. To to remove the divinity from Christ essentially makes us the same as Christ, right? Because yeah. God is fully human. We're fully human. If God, if Jesus isn't fully God and we're not fully God, then what separates Jesus from us? Like, we... We are Jesus in, in the same sense. We have the same nature as Jesus, and nothing distinguishes us from the person and work of Christ. Like, we can yeah. do everything that Jesus did, which gets really tricky and messy once you start heading down that path, once you start saying, oh, Jesus and I are one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, Little G's God talking yeah. to your congregation, like, you guys are gods, and I'm like... Right. Dude, if I'm a god, then I'm living a very sad lifestyle. But that's what they would say. They'd be like, right. yeah, of course you are, Caleb, and that's why mm-hmm. you need to take right. on the name it and claim it. Right. This is yours. Jesus was human as we are human, but to say that we are the eternal word of God or we have we have the same nature, divine nature, the divine energy or whatever they want to use as Christ, I think is to completely miss Yeah. Um, Christ's divinity and also to miss who we are in our anthropology yeah. as humans. Definitely. Um, so yeah, Christ's full humanity, full divinity. I think that also becomes important because Mm -hmm. as we see in scripture, you had the the priests, you had Mm -hmm. the priests, the prophets, the judges, the kings, and Mm -hmm. all of these guys were just shown to just not be able to do the job well. Right. Right. And so if Jesus is just a man and he somehow does the job better than them, why? Right. Right. And if it's, if they say it's because he emptied himself and God lived through him. Well, then what happened with the prophets? Right. Because the prophets spoke for God, mm-hmm. right? And so it gets it gets way too muddy to try to act like right. that's how it happens. You you have to have Jesus is fully God. And really... That's why he does it perfect. What's, what's funny is I'm reminded of the passage in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus approaches the disciples and he says, who do people say I am? And they're like, oh, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah. It's kind of like that today yeah. where people almost say, oh, well, Jesus was just like... A man who was able to do like extraordinary things because like he was willing to be used by God. Right. He wasn't willing really to free God. himself. Yeah, and it's yeah. like well, exactly what you're saying. Like the prophets, right, were willing to be used by God, and God spoke and worked through them. But what differentiates a prophet from Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, kind of what you're pointing to, and I think that's interesting. And as we see in that passage, like 
clearly the disciples, especially Peter, it's like, no, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, yeah. um, you are Lord. And uh, yeah, to deny that, I think, is a serious error. I think it, it almost even goes two ways where you get the, like, the word of faith people who are like, trying to suggest that we could be like God because we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? So right. so they take they take the the uh what's it called when Jesus is fully God, fully man, what's that term? Hypostatic union? They take the hypostatic union, they mm-hmm. say this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because we're only human and if we're to be like Jesus we gotta only be human. Mm-hmm. And then the other, there's a flip side to that. There's basically two movements that do that. The other one's the progressive side. Right. The progressive side would be like, oh the miracles and stuff didn't happen. Right. And it was all just recorded that way, and he was just like a good moral teacher, mm-hmm. and that's really all the lesson is to it. So when you take out the divine side, you you actually can go down so many different ways that are faulty theology. Right, like, yeah, Jesus didn't actually feed, like, the 5,000. That's just a story for us to learn, right. like, a, a, a teaching moment. They were like, there was some guy get... in the back who actually had more bread and fish. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, that's what actually happened. So right. they were passing out the one bread and the basket, and the other guy was like, hey, I got three more <laughs> I got three with more my donkeys. <laughs> that's how this happened. And it wasn't really Jesus. Jesus paid him. <laughs> yeah, That's how it happened. They yeah, tried you had to, to explain start... it. Yeah, you have to like fabricate yeah. the stories or like completely deny them. Get as far away as you can. Yeah, yeah. Humanity and divinity of Jesus. Yeah, the, the moment you start um, removing one or altering one of those elements, the humanity or, or divinity of, of Christ, the natures of Christ, yeah, it gets very messy, very yeah. unorthodox, and ultimately it's faulty. Boom, you dropped it. Medical. Unorthodox. Any there other thoughts is. on Christ, <laughs> humanity, divinity, or should we move on to the next? No, I, th- I think we can just sum it up as mm-hmm. if Christ is fully man, then he can take on the punishment for the sins of man. Mm-hmm. But if he's fully God, he can bear the wrath. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's important. And we could get into what arguments about life. atonement theories and things like that. But I think mm-hmm. no ma- really no matter what atonement theory or theories you hold to, right. that, that's got to be a fundamental piece. I so, agree. Yeah. Where do you want to go from here? Well, another Christian doctrine that has puzzled many for centuries is the Trinity. Yeah, heck yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Somehow one God, but three persons. Stab you in the eyes, Patrick. <laughs> oh Patrick! Oh Patrick! And yeah. Anytime somebody says Trinity, I'm always like, Ah, Patrick! Yeah, yeah. stab you in the eyes, Patrick. Yeah, and, and we see yeah. again from the biblical text, the word Trinity isn't stated in Scripture, no. but we can see from various passages, like the baptism of Jesus, where the Father speaks the, the voice from heaven, then the dove ascends, and the Son's Christ, there, and the Son's there. So yeah. we see that something going on with this triune god but wait are you sure that that wasn't god just electing jesus to be anyways that's whoa. the last conversation whoa. but that's what they would say right right that it was the electing but that that doesn't fit the narrative at right. all of who right. jesus is it's not you know it, before jesus was baptized mm-hmm. he was named emmanuel right god with us so he was already god mm-hmm. and already of, of course john the baptist preparing the way for the right Messiah. preparing the way for god for god yeah. to show up and john the baptist clearly states jesus is this guy that we've been waiting for he yeah. is the messiah so i guess we need god. to talk about what if there what are the roles of the three persons of the trinity why is it important hmm. that there's three mm-hmm. so why does the church hold that if it's such an important doctrine why has it been passed down for thousands of years well yeah i I, to start with we see clearly all the way from genesis that god created everything and then we see in john that the eternal word is present there 
and we also see in Jesus' teaching that he says that him and the Father are one. So we at least see that there's God. We see this God the Father. We see the Son, the eternal word. We see this kind of distinction, but still one God. So I think in Christian in Christian teachings, when it comes to Trinitarian thought, there's this notion of there's God the Father and there's God the Son, the person of Jesus Christ, who's the eternal word. And somehow they're still both one. Yeah. One essence, one substance. And then Jesus also mentions and acknowledges that when he leaves, the helper, the advocate, will be sent and dwell among us. Right. And convict us of but the sin. But the is part of God still. Right, spirit. yeah, yeah, and the spirit. And so we, we see that um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, throughout Old New Testament there are, are elucidations, there are references, but we still, Christian teaching has still held to monotheism, one God. Yeah. So being able to reconcile this reality, I think, has led to many uh, councils where yeah. they have tried to formulate proper understanding of Understand this. Understand how does this function. How does this well, function. Yeah. Yeah, if Jesus, the Son, and the Father are one, then we would have to affirm that they're the same being, same or same essence, um, but different. Yeah, same being, same essence, but still distinction in relationship, different persons. Yeah. Yeah. It gets kind of tricky once you get Duh. into It's outside thought. of our comprehension mm-hmm. to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, one of the things that always like surprised me when I was studying Hebrew, some biblical Hebrew, was that mm-hmm. even though Israel believed in a monotheistic God, mm-hmm. they would use the name Elohim mm-hmm. in reference to God, which yeah. is a plural word for God. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that even though they didn't understand his trinity then, mm-hmm. that they were still worshiping him really in trinity. Yeah, That he caused them to worship him as Elohim, which was not to say that he was more than one God, right. but that his name has a plural, a plurality to it, some mm. sort of plurality to it. Yeah. And some way you say I'm inferring too much there, but I think that that's, that's kind of interesting. They didn't just call him El. Hmm. They called him Elohim. Yeah. And they weren't saying there were more than one gods because right. they still clearly held to just your God is one. Yeah, the Shema so in Deuteronomy 6. Yeah, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Exactly. So that was still clearly yeah. held to. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. The Spirit's working in mm-hmm. Scripture mm-hmm. to, I mean, Genesis 1, let us make man in our image, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. in our image, us, let us, you know, and so there's, there's already some Trinitarian there which calls back to what you said in John 1 1 the word became flesh and dwelt among us and it also says that nothing was made mm-hmm. that was made unless it was made through him it right. was like everything was made through the word right. and so Jesus was at creation as well so yeah and even Colossians talks about that that in him and through him and by him and for him all things were made yeah you know in Acts 17 also talks about this that in him and Jesus we live move and have our being and what's also interesting I believe there are several claims we can affirm um, or even claims of negations that fall within Trinitarian thought. So we can affirm that God is one. I think that's one claim, right? Monotheism, God is one. We can also affirm that God the Father is God, right? The Father is God. Yeah. That the Son, Jesus, is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God. Then I think we also have to negate that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and then the Spirit is not the Father. Yeah. Right? And also negate this isn't three gods. 
Right, so or nine or nine gods, <laughs> yeah, like each each all three in some trinitarian yeah. view of themselves. Right, yeah. so I, I still think even though trinitarian theology can be very difficult to articulate, I do think there are a lot of affirmations or negations that we can claim and still be coherent and yeah. make and kind of wrap our minds around it to some extent. Yeah, some extent, certainly, which can be helpful. So then, like, what would you say? So, I mean, we've we've made pretty clear the role of the Son mm-hmm. and the Father in scriptures. Where are some places that you see the Spirit, and what's the Spirit's role? Yeah, yeah, the Spirit's role in the life of a believer, yeah. I think, is critical. I mean, I this past semester I wrote a paper. We've talked about this. I wrote a paper on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and what what does that mean for the Spirit to indwell like a believer? Yeah, like what does that constitute? What does that mean? And what I kind of argued and advocated for in my paper is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a is a literal, very real presence, a real presence, a significant, meaningful presence of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. And so th- there is discussion and conversation about to what extent does the presence of God affect like human responsibility. Because I think what it comes down to is to what point does the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit that indwells a believer, control, influence, dictate the life of a believer. And I think for you know Christian history, Christian theology and discussions, they've wanted to simultaneously hold that the Spirit of God actually does something to a believer, mm-hmm. right? Being born again. It's not a, a physical second birth, but a spiritual rebirth, right? Being born again and the Spirit yeah. of God actually... <laughs> brings you new life you have a new heart like something yeah awakens you opens your eyes like actually transforms you so there is a real like spiritual new birth that's happening so the spirit of god actually does do something but simultaneously i believe that god still allows for human responsibility and and human action now you're getting into another part that's attention the next part attention god's Mm -hmm. sovereign in control Mm -hmm. paul makes it very clear predestines before the foundation of the world right um, this is not just that he knows what you're going to do. This mm-hmm. is not just Molinism that he chose the best world that, that would turn out how he wanted, but right. that he actually planned it, decreed it, controls it. But mm-hmm. at the same time says mm-hmm. you have free will. Right. How do we like, what are, what are some ways I have some ways, but what mm-hmm. are some ways that you personally try to describe or live in the tension? Right. Yeah. Well, when I think of the Holy Spirit and dwelling a believer, what doesn't come to mind is that the Holy Spirit like possesses the person and can just completely <laughs> controls and manipulates yeah. them where like now they're just like a flesh puppet that the right, spirit yeah. <laughs> like controls. Like I don't think that scripture depicts it that way. Right? We see scripture depicting the Holy Spirit as a helper, an advocate, um, someone who convicts, someone who points Jesus like points out Jesus, points people to the truth of Christ. Um, and so like there there are very real things that the Holy Spirit does and so Practically speaking, living in that tension, like you mentioned, there are times, and again, I kind of talk about this in my paper, there are times when we're living our lives, right? And sometimes, like, you'll you'll feel, like, this overwhelming, like, thought or this, like, this feeling of, like, wow, you know, I'm I'm not doing something correct. Like, right, I know this goes against what God has, like, revealed. I know this is sinful. I know this is disobedient. And, like, it's drawn to your mind. I believe like the spirit is like leading you pushing you and pushing direction. you to God's truth and, yeah. and pushing you to repentance. I think there are times where that's very real. 
where you get that sense, almost that like overwhelming yeah. thought and Spirit experience. working through you as like, hey, EJ, mm-hmm. wake up to this. But it's not right. just like you said, the puppet, mm-hmm. you're just going along for the ride. It's it's mm-hmm. an awakening and an eye-opening for you. Right. Yeah. And then there's also times when I believe that like the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about convicting, but also like pointing us to truth, also revealing things. And I think one of the biggest uh ways the holy spirit does this is through god's word like when we're reading scripture him illuminating the text to us yeah right because apart from the work of the spirit i don't know if we'll be able to comprehend like what the text is saying i think we'll be blind to the truth the gospel and we see this with unbelievers right when when they read scripture they they listen to to passages without the holy spirit like acting they upon their lives. They make crazy conclusions. Crazy conclusions. They, they don't, don't understand. They don't yeah. get it. They they make you know false accusations. But right when the spirit though reveals truth, and when the spirit rebirths a person, right, yeah. and, and opens their eyes uh, to the truth, then scripture comes alive. And so when you read it, it starts to make sense now. Yeah. Even the parts that would once be confusing, you're like, mm-hmm. I, I, even if I don't fully comprehend it, I get this. There's a piece of me that understands yeah. what's happening here. Yeah. And so I think that's a very practical like role that the Holy Spirit plays in the, the person's life is interaction with the biblical text. And I also think the Holy Spirit is very active and, and present in the church mm-hmm. corporately. Yeah. Uh, when we gather and worship the Lord, maintaining I think the Spirit unity of God, maintaining with one unity, yeah. exactly. You want to expound on on that maintaining yeah, unity in the church? Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, one of the things that you said that immediately brings to mind for me is Paul says that the Spirit works through us mm-hmm. to call God Father. Hmm. I, I found yeah. that I was reading that, and I found that so like impactful suddenly because I feel like I've always grown up in the church, mm-hmm. and I now I can almost distinguish between certain people I'd hear pray who are always just like, Lord, 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 Lord. Right. And the people who seemed to have a deeper relationship with God yeah. were like, Father, yeah. Father, Father, Father. Mm. And I was just like, mm. and I was moved by the fact that we, we sometimes forget to see God in the details. We're right. always like expecting some big, huge thing to happen. But then Paul's like, no, when you prayed just now mm-hmm. and you said, Father, he's working through you that you would have it with him too and that's like that's super impactful so when you're talking about the local church mm-hmm. as believers that come together like a for instance amy's in my gospel community group mm-hmm. it what's represented is eight different generations wow eight that's crazy that's unheard of and none of us really have anything in common but one thing hmm. christ and him crucified and i think it's the yeah. holy spirit that moves through us that draws mm-hmm. us well the spirit of christ in communion yeah, the spirit of christ it's exactly spirit of christ. draws us together mm-hmm. causes us to meet with one another causes mm-hmm. us to want to be there mm-hmm. uh, also like we, we've talked about this a little bit in the past but like there's something when you become a christian that draws you towards worship mm-hmm. yeah. that you're drawn towards worship and there was this study uh, if I had it, I would totally name it. Maybe I'll put it in show notes. But there was a study mm-hmm. that showed that churches, when they're worshiping mm-hmm. and everybody's worshiping together, their heartbeat gets on the same pace. Whoa. Yeah, which is crazy to me. Like, your heartbeat will actually get on the same pace. So there's something that mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit does in us when right. we're together worshiping God, mm-hmm. where he brings community mm-hmm. in the yeah. church where we're all beating with the same heart in praise to God as, as one body of believers. And that, Amen. to me, is like... Yeah. Unimaginably beautiful. You're not going to get that anywhere else. Right. And as the body of believers, we are able, through the power of the Spirit, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, famously in, yeah. in Scripture, the yeah. fruit of the Spirit. Um, and so, yeah, apart from the work of the Spirit, we, we wouldn't be able to accomplish those things. Yeah, but through, through the Spirit, we can produce fruit 
um, that correspond to God's word and his character. And so, yeah, power of the spirit. So we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this Trinity, three persons, one God, this mystery, but also so much beauty. Yeah. In that, yeah. in that mystery. So much beauty in it. Any other tensions <laughs> that come to mind that you want well, to I mean, address? Let, let, let's, let's continue to expand on sovereignty, God versus free will. Let's do it. So it's pretty clear. Let's just name, let's drop some passages. Exodus, you read Exodus. Mm -hmm. uh, scripture will say two things. One, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right. And then elsewhere it says, but Pharaoh hardened his, his heart. His, like his own heart. His yeah. own heart. And so yeah. um, I think Dr. Wind, he really, I'm going to botch his description of this but when i was really struggling with that his description helped hmm. um and it is i would say i hold to i don't know about you and we we don't often say what we hold to in this but i do hold to a little bit of a compatibilist free will hmm. and that's only because i think uh -huh. that i think often christians try to live in an in a a world of either or so it's either or. this or it's this either god is sovereign or we have free will and we can't come together but i think it's an and hmm. we have to live in that tension of and yeah. i think that heaven both plans salvation and and celebrates when someone is saved hmm. right in their yeah. free will and so i think both those things are happening i think sometimes people think that that's too much right. but i think when you actually start living life and realizing and looking back on things that happened you start to see how it is mm -hmm. and and um and so like uh scripture says that the pharisees and scribes desired to kill jesus according to god's plan right but they're responsible for it hmm. yeah. right and so i do think that we have to we can't just ignore those passages right we can't just say well god's plan that he knew that they were going to do it so he turned it into his plan right because that's not what it says it just says it's his plan mm -hmm. and we also can't say that they're not responsible for it because scripture is right. pretty clear that people are morally culpable for their decisions right exactly so there's this there is a tension there mm -hmm. hard to live in but dr Wynn described it uh this is a terrible, terrible, I'm going to botch it, but essentially he was talking about you, Caleb, are born with certain distinct characteristics that make you up. Hmm. There's certain food allergies you have. There's a certain way that you look at the world. There's only certain people that you are attracted to. There are certain personalities that annoy you, right? Mm -hmm. And God says before the foundation of the world, I'm going to save Caleb. Not based on anything he does, I'm, I'm just going to. That's what Ephesians says. Hmm. And then... Caleb lives in that free will that he's been given, but there's certain things he dislikes mm. that will will move him through life. You know, so if you have a peanut allergies, you're not going to eat peanuts, right? Mm -hmm. And so God made you allergic to peanuts, so you wouldn't eat peanuts. Maybe for some purpose in His grand plan. Right. But that was kind of His way of, of describing. I know it's like not doing a very good job because <laughs> He did amazing with it and it was I so like much that. bigger. Yeah. But I think it is important to see that like, we both have free will, but God does give us certain things. Yeah us yeah and i think the biblical text makes it very clear like there are passages that talk about predestination and election and like these terms of god's sovereignty like before the foundation yeah. of the world god is doing something but we also read in scripture like people are making decisions yeah. like, like people all are the doing things all the time and right? morally, cul morally culpable yeah and they're morally decisions. culpable for it. like there are there are reactions there are you know things that happen because of these actions so yeah, that tension of we see that God has a plan and he's sovereign and he predestines and he elects and he foreknows. And right, we have all these terms that we see throughout scripture, but yeah. we also see that people make decisions. They're morally culpable. There are um, reactions to it. There are responsibilities, right? There are things that happen in response to these actions. Yeah. But 
I don't think it'd be fair to say, oh, God doesn't, like, know, like, these things are happening or it's outside of God's control. Right. right. You know, it's actually interesting you say that because it reminds me, uh, Philip, I think it's Philip Riken, one of the Riken brothers. Mm-hmm. I was reading his book on Trinity. You dropped the word election. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he was like, election is like the family jewels. Uh-huh. You can't you can't describe them to somebody who's never experienced them hmm. because it seems offensive. So he talked about, he was like, the cross has like upstanding for all people. And it says for, for anybody who would repent and yeah. believe in Christ, enter here, right? So it's like mm-hmm. the cross is there and there's like a door and you enter in. And when you enter in and close the door and you look back on the other side of the cross, it says predestined before the foundation of the world. Hmm. So I love yeah. how he was like, there is a tension there. There mm-hmm. is a salvation for all mm-hmm. on the one side. And once you're in, there is a looking back that's like, whoa, God chose me. And we have to mm-hmm. live in that tension. Yeah. And that's also a call to still do evangelism. Because right. some people would say that that position says we can't do evangelism. But like a, a J.I. Packer has mm-hmm. a, a book called Evangelism. And obviously we know that he's like pretty heavily reformed and Calvinistic. And so were some of the first uh, missionaries. Mm-hmm. So there's still there's still an effort to do mission work to because if nobody hears the gospel how do they get to be saved right that's what paul said right and like yeah. those are the means in which god like enacts his salvation yeah on people is like using the proclamation of the gospel and like people hearing the good news and being filled with the holy spirit and being filled up. with the holy spirit like through those means yeah though people come to salvation someone preaches it someone preaches someone it. hears it yeah so it's, it's still it. it still is compatible with the, the great commission that Jesus gives in Matthew 28. It doesn't contradict, like, just because God is sovereign and elects and predestines things, yeah. but also commands people to go out, that's not a contradiction. Rather, those are the means by which God, like, enacts yeah. his plan. And what's interesting is no but, matter where you mm-hmm. stand, whether I would say Calvinist, Arminian, whatever umbrella you fall under, in practice, we all hold to those same things. Because right. we have to. Scripture says it. You can't right. just, if you, when you don't, you're trying to overinterpret Scripture mm-hmm. and you just, you need to just live in the tension. Live in the tension. Live in the tension. I think that's going to be our new thing. Yeah, that's, kind of, that's kind of a theme. Right. I love it. Well, I think anything you want to like say before we close? No, yeah. I, I think, yeah, as, as we've emphasized several times throughout this episode, like, there are Christian teachings that on the surface can be difficult to reconcile. But I think where we get in trouble is trying to correct or make sense of it in a way that goes against scripture or in a way where we justify certain things by denying what is clearly like upheld by the biblical text and church tradition. And so even though like Christ being fully God and fully man is a difficult concept, we have to live in that, that tension of he is the God man. And we can't just deny one of his natures because it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and same with all it's hard of, to comprehend. other doctrines. So yeah, living yeah. in the tension. I live in the it. tension. Right? Live in the tension. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Captive Thoughts. We hope you enjoyed this one. This is probably going to be, I mean, a little bit more like what our other episodes will be now that we're past the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah. more on a topic that pops up and we go with it. Uh, last time we said we we're going to go prayer. I We're not even going to go prayer for episode five. We're actually going to talk about uh, the willingness of the early church fathers to call out stuff that they saw as anti-gospel or against the message. Yeah, we see throughout church history that there were a lot of people that were willing to stand firm and call out what they believed to be heresy and false teachings, and we shouldn't be afraid to do that today. And so we're going to 
talk about what that means to confront false teachings yeah. or to call out and, and have boldness. Do it right. Over, Stay over orthodox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, neither of us know a good total answer on that, but we're going to do our best. But to we're going to be candid about it. as best as we can. Yeah. So yeah. thank you again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to comment, uh, email us, Facebook. We're going to have you know this uploaded to Facebook, and so feel free to watch and listen and uh, let us know what you think yeah give us opinions Mm -hmm. don't agree it's okay you don't have to agree you can just let us know you don't and if we want to get into that with you we'll do it so yeah great thank you thanks